Let's pray together, church. Our Father, we come before you with humility. On our hearts, we, we come with great hope that you are our God, that you have saved us, that you protect us, that you lead us beside still waters, that you restore our souls. Lord, shepherd us into the fields for your namesake. We ask that you shepherd us this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week we talked about the, the great war and the armistice that ended that first great war that led to the second great war. This week we look at another war to begin us and it's a, a war that was fought quite differently than the two great wars in the early 1900s. This war was fought, fought with, uh, with something that I remember as Scud missiles. And if you can remember back in the late 90s and early 2000s, I know, Rick, you can, uh, that the uh, opposing forces shot these missiles, um, air-to-surface or surface-to-surface -surface missiles called Scud missiles. <clears throat> But if you remember, uh, there was another type of missile that was greatly heralded among those in the United States and those in, uh, in the Middle East. Does anybody remember the name of those missiles that were opposing to those Scud missiles? The Patriot missiles. And I don't know if any of you ever saw what they looked like, but on the back of a truck, they would lift a ramp, what looked like a ramp, and they could station Patriot missiles throughout uh, uh, certain spots, strategic spots. And when a missile was sent by the enemy over meant to uh, do damage inside of the country, the Patriot missiles were fired up to intercept and meet the missiles in the air rather than allow them to hit their target. Patriot missiles were one of those defense mechanisms that saved life after life and that really were a turning point in that Gulf War that, that we as a country were a part of. Patriot missiles were a protecting mechanism. They were a defense mechanism that saved countless lives. This morning, what we look at in the scripture and what I asked you to look at this week is your homework uh, was the protecting aspect that there is a protector, one who protects us, who protects believers. And this morning we're going to dig in and find out the answers to your studies and mine. So if you have your Bible, I invite you to open up to 1 John chapter 5. We are near the end of 1 John. And that means we will be beginning something new uh, somewhat soon. But today is not that day. The verse for this year as we celebrate fellowship togetherness in 2022, which we will have, uh, of course, next week, a lot of fellowship, is from 1 John 1, verse 5 through 7. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is what? 
God is light, and in him there's no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we are a liar. We lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, in the goodness, in righteousness, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sins. There are light walkers and there are darkness dwellers. Which one are you? You got it, Blake. Patriot missiles. Last week, as I mentioned earlier, armistice and surrender. And uh, Jeff even mentioned in our Sunday school class of the great difference. I called us to consider that when we become a Christian or a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, it is not an armistice. It is not an agreement. It is not a mutual surrender. It is not anything like that. It is a complete and total surrender of our lives and our will to that of the Lord's. And Christian, I want to encourage and, and ask you. From that moment or that day or that season when you were humbling yourself before the Lord and surrendering to him, are you at a place today where you have sought to bring things back to your own will or are you still surrendered unto the Lord? That's a good question. You may have been in church for 50, 60 years and maybe you've never surrendered to the Lord. Today might be a good day for you to do that. Christians are confessors of sin, and that's what we looked at last week. This week, I asked you to look at a passage or a verse, 1 John chapter 5, verse 18. And the verse goes something like this. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. But he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. But... He who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. So I ask you, who was this one that was born of God, and how does he protect a Christian or one who was born of God? How does that work out? What, what does that look like? So we have to look at the first phrase of, of what does it mean that someone was born of God, and who is that? And there are a couple of ways to look at that, aren't there? We've looked several times, in the, in, even in 1 John, at, at him talking about there are those who are born of God. Whoever is born of God does not continue to sin. Uh, he describes Christians as those of, that are born of God. Those who have spiritual lives within themselves, spiritual life, living. There's something more than just walking this planet, doing this planetary stuff. There is aliveness there's desire to know and love God. There's a desire to be obedient to God. There's a desire to serve others. There's a desire to come to church. There's aliveness. And I don't know of a better way to describe it other than there is aliveness in Christians that causes them to do Christian things. Is that what John is talking about here? Is he saying that those who are born of God... Those who have the aliveness protect the Christian. And the evil one does not touch him. As I studied this, I, I thought, well, that seems to be follow what John is saying. Right? That those who are born of God must be believers. 
But as you dig in a little bit more, there's another option that's worth pursuing. Another option is maybe John is playing on words here. And if you look at the first half of that verse, we know that everyone that has been born of God does not keep on sinning. But he who was born of God protects him. In the sense that he's speaking of a lesser to the greater argument here. That there are those who are born of God, which is you and me, Ambriel, we're born of God. But then there is the one who was born of God. And who might that be, church? That might be Jesus Christ himself. And as the scripture says that, that speaks of his birth and that he's conceived in the Holy Spirit and born to save us. Could it be, and this is what I believe, I'll go ahead and get, tip my hand here, y'all can see, that Jesus is speaking of the ones who are born of God don't keep on sinning, but the one who was born of God does the protecting of us, and he is the one who is able to keep the evil one from touching us or bringing the problems to us. And touching us meaning causing harm upon us if he so desires. Now, if you look in uh, the CSB, Christian Standard Bible, and some of y'all have different translations. I think maybe you. Do you have CSB, Lynette? If you look in your Bible, you will probably see that the translators even capitalize the word he to tip you off that, yeah, that he is more than likely the son of God, Jesus Christ, the Lord. And this is great news, y'all. This is, this is powerful for us in that we know that as we walk our Christian life, that we are under the Patriot Missile golden or not golden, but the, the protective rule of Jesus Christ the Lord. That nothing happens outside of the hand and the will of God. That in his sovereignty, he is ruling over when and if we are affected by Satan and his fiery darts. Clay, Barry, talked about that Wednesday night. Jesus is our protector. He is the begotten of God. He is the born of God. Y'all can probably quote it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten, born son. Jesus is the one born and Jesus is the one to protect us. Let me give you a couple examples. Talked about Luke chapter 135, that, that there will be a child that will be born and he will be called the Son of God. So another scripture to underscore that Jesus is also called the one who's born of God. Let me give you an, an illustration in the scriptures where Jesus is our protector or is someone's protector. And you probably remember this story, but it's in Luke chapter 22. <clears throat> Verse 31, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. Now, I don't know about any of y'all, but the thought of being sifted like wheat by Satan himself does not sound too pleasant. Verse 32 says this, Jesus speaking says, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Now, this is before Peter 
denies Jesus Christ. And so Jesus is saying, it's not that Satan's never going to affect us. And so when we look back and it says that the evil one does not touch him, it doesn't necessarily mean that the evil one cannot have effect on us as believers. So Christians know that. There are times in our lives when evil, demonic powers, Satan himself even, affects us. But what Jesus does say, Marie, is that he's not going to touch us in that he will destroy us. You are under the watch care, the guiding hand of the Lord Jesus Christ. You remember, as the scripture says several times, you are in his hand. And no one can snatch you from his hand. You are in the hand of God. And when you have returned... Because you will return, Peter, and when you have returned, feed my sheep, as we see later. And when you have returned, strengthen your brothers. Of course, we know Peter says, I'm ready to go with you to death. And Jesus says, Satan's going to get you. Jesus stands in the gap for Peter. Not to keep him sinless, but to keep him saved. So Christian, I I just want to remind you. Jesus Christ, the Jesus Christ, the one who came thousands of years ago. That man, that God man is protecting you. And we can think about that like, I am not so significant that Jesus should even care about me. But Jesus cares and protects for each one of you his sheep. Did he not say if there were a hundred sheep, if one went astray, that he would go after the one? Jesus cares for you, Christian. Personally, he cares for you and watches out for you. Paul underscored this in Romans chapter 8. He said this, For I am sure that neither death nor life, and this we've been studying on Thursday nights, Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything in creation can do what, church? Separate us from what? From the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The love of God is made known most clearly and most persistently in Jesus Christ the Lord. This is why we praise Jesus, to you we lift our eyes. Jesus, our glory and our prize. We adore you. Behold you. Our Savior, Jesus Christ. He is the one we adore. He is the one who cares for us. He is the one who keeps us. He is the Lord. Well, the next question I have for you then is is how? Is it all behind the scenes? Is it all behind the curtain, if you will? If you've seen The Wizard of Oz, anybody not seen The Wizard of Oz? Yeah, and lots of stuff going on behind the curtain. You haven't, Elliot, one day, you're going to see The Wizard of Oz, and you're going to love it. There's lots going on behind the curtain that's making lots of stuff. Is, is it all going on behind the curtain? Is all of Jesus is protecting of you as a Christian. Is it all behind the curtain stuff? It's not. Watch this. John 17, 
Verse 15. How does God protect us? In the context of the world, and we're going to get to the next verse of the world. So trust me, the context of 1 John 5 is that it's in the context of the world. And that the power of, there's, the, the enemy has great power in the world. With that in mind, John 17, verse 15. I do not ask you, and Jesus is praying. I do not ask you, Father, that you take them out of the world. But that you keep them from whom? The evil one. All right? So here's context. I'm not asking you to remove them from the world system. I'm asking you that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Remember that. That's going to come into play on the next verse in John 15. They're not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And read the next verse out loud with the church. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. That's an Awana verse. My kids grew up in Awana learning. I remember that verse. Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. It's not all behind the curtain stuff. Because Christian, let me tell you. Jesus protects you by giving you his word for you to focus on, to meditate on, for us to study as a body today. This is nothing behind the curtain. This is, hey Christian, you better read your Bible. Psalm 119 says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I what? Might not sin against you. How do you keep yourselves from the evil one? You keep yourself from sinning. And how do you keep yourselves from sinning? Hiding God's word in your heart. Treasuring it in your heart. If you don't know the Bible, how are you to fight sin? I'm talking to people who I believe, for the most part this morning, have life in themselves. I believe, by and large, all of you looking at your faces have life, spiritual life in you. And I'm speaking as your pastor, as your shepherd. The word of God is of utmost importance to keep your soul from the enemy. That is your work. The spirit of God is, is of utmost Priority in your battle against sin. But he does his work. You don't have to do his work for him. He is in you, alive in you, doing his work. Our job, Christian, is to be in the word of God. That the spirit of God may use the word of God to keep us from the evil one. Now this all ties in together. We know that we are from God. Let me go back to 1 John chapter 5, verse 19. <clears throat> Watch this. Remember, this is the next verse. He just talked about Jesus protects us. How does he do it? With his word. He guards us. With his word. Verse 19. We know that we are from God. And the whole world lies where? 
and the power of the evil one. Now, this is interesting. I told you back when Jesus was speaking in John 17 that he wasn't asking to keep us out of the world. But he said, they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. And now in verse 19 in 1 John, he says, we know we are from God. In other words, we know that we are not from the world. We do not line up. We do not live by. We do not treasure the things the world treasures. We are distinct from the world, Christian. We must remember that. Jesus said, I'm not of the world. Earlier in the book of 1 John, he said, do not love the world or the things in the world. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the mind, power, pride of possessions. Don't love those things. We are distinct. We know that we are from God. Christian, you are from God. You don't have to fit in. And the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. I've heard different interpretations of this verse. Have you? You ever studied this verse? You ever heard anybody quote this verse? All right. We know that we are from God. That's not too hard to comprehend, is it? We got that, don't we? And the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Does it? What? Who is in charge of this world? Who has the power over this world? Is it the evil one? Or is it Jesus? Who's in control of this world? Who is it? This is a tough one. Because you get there and you go, well, Jesus is in charge of the world. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to Jesus. But then you come here and you go, wait, wait. The whole world lies in the power of the evil. But, well, who's in charge? Huh. Huh. If you get the, the job you wanted... Was that the evil one giving you the job, or was that the Lord giving you the job? If, you, if, you, if, you, if your tire goes flat, was that Jesus, or was that the devil? Who's in charge? I'm pausing here because I want you to face the dilemma that I face, because I've got to teach this. If you had to teach your family, your children, your, well, what do you say? Who's in charge? God? The devil? More importantly, what does the Bible say? Let's look at a few passages of Scripture. Can we do that? I think that will bring some clarity for us. Y'all want to do that? Y'all with me? That's a good question, I think. Tyler, is it a good question? It's a good question. Satan is called the God of this world. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. Let me stop there. In this case, the God of this world. Who's the God of this world? Who blinds the minds of unbelievers? 
Satan, the powers of evil. I'll stop right there. So the God of this world is the title of the devil. Well, that seems like he's got the power of the world, doesn't he? In John chapter 12, he's called the ruler of this world. John 12, 31. Now this is the judgment of the world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. Jesus is about to cast out the ruler of the world by going to the cross and disarming him. As Colossians tells us, he disarmed the powers of, of evil. Okay. It's interesting in 2 Corinthians where we see him called the God of this world. And then he's blinded the minds of unbelievers. But just three verses later, in verse 7, you see that, that God opens the eyes of the believers. So you're given a, another conflict or a tension, if you will, of the God of this world ruling over non-believers, but then the Lord coming in, Jesus shining the light in their eyes of the gospel and then awakening them and conversion. So who's really in control? Is it the God of this world or is it the God of the universe? Who, who's in control? It's a tough one. Let me give you some more passages of scripture. Colossians 1.13. I think this is most helpful. When we think about the phrase, the God of this world, and that the world lies in the power of the evil one. Look in Colossians 1.13. He has delivered us, and this is talking about the Lord. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of the beloved son. I think this is the key. Am I like, what? Go back to John 17 where we looked earlier. When Jesus said they are not of what? They're not of the world. And as I am not of the world. You remember that? And then you come to this passage and you say, Jesus has delivered us from the domain of darkness and done what? Transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. So God has moved us from, I'm going to say it like this. God has moved us from the world and brought us into a new domain. Which is the domain of the son. So here's what I'm going to present to you. The enemy is the ruler of the world domain. The enemy is the ruler of all of those who are not in Christ. He is the ruler of the domain of godless, Christless people. So when it says he has power or he rules over the world... He's not talking about everything that happens on planet Earth. Of course not. We know that the devil doesn't control everything that happens here on this planet. 
It means that he is the ruler. He is the, the leader, the coach, the captain. He is the authority over the godless people who live and dwell in this world with us. Jesus, on the other hand, is the king, the ruler authority of you, Christian. He is the ruler of us. He's the authority over us. He's the one who tells us what to do. We don't have to listen to demon man. We don't have to listen to godless. That's not our domain. You've heard the phrase, stay in your lane, right? Stay in your lane, Christian. Do what Christians do. We don't have to emulate the world. We are not of the world. Look in 2 Timothy chapter 2. Here's another good passage of scripture to help you. Verse 25. Correcting his opponents with all gentleness. He's talking about the Christian, the pastor, the leader. God may perhaps grant them repentance. Okay. Now watch, hear the words that Paul is writing to Timothy. Do the work of a pastor. Do the work of an evangelist. Do the work of correcting opponents gently. God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. So as you do your work, Timothy, God may grant them repentance and they may come to their senses, have that awakening moment and do what, church? You see it? I see you, Kathy. You got it. And escape the snare of the devil. Do you see it? The devil has those in his snare, in his trap, in his lockbox, if you will, in his prison. And God is granting repentance to those through the ministry work of Timothy or the pastor or the church, the work of the church. And they're coming out of the snare of the devil after being what? Captured by him to do what? To do the world's will, to do the the devil's will, to do the power of evil's will. So do you see it? All the power, all the world lies in the power of the devil doesn't mean the devil does whatever he wants. I think we all know that. God is the sovereign in this universe. Amen? Amen. Can I say that again? God is the sovereign in this universe. Amen? Amen? And he has allowed and given the devil a restricted domain to influence and do his deeds. And he has given them power in that realm. But as you look in the Bible, the devil doesn't do anything without permission of God. Let me go back to 2 Corinthians 4.4. Let me show you what I'm talking about. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ. The devil has blinded people from seeing and understanding, comprehending the gospel. Do you see it there? The light of the gospel, blinded. Unbelievers are blinded to see the glory of the gospel. Then you go to verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that what? Do you see it? The what? The surpassing power 
belongs to God and not man. He, and he talks about right there the conversion. If you read that passage in 2 Corinthians 4, it's a conversion passage. God said, let there be light. He shines the light. He, he takes the devil's people and shines light in their hearts. They're converted. And he says, I am the surpassing power. Uh, I, my son, Nate, uh, told me about some games they played. Uh, they went to VBS with a friend this week. Or no, middle school mania, sorry. Where's Nate? There you go. This week, and he told me, he said, we played tug of war. He said, yeah, but it wasn't fair. The rope was slippery. I said, so you lost. <laughs> Is that the way it worked, Nate? The rope was slippery. It wasn't fair. I think you met somebody else with surpassing power, Nate. That's what I think. Your team lost. Surpassing power belongs to God and not to man. The Bible is clear, y'all. It's clear. Very clear. Let me give you one more. Y'all, y'all still with me? Give me a couple more. This is, this is rich, y'all. This is, and it's work. This, is, this stuff takes work to do, so it's exciting to share this with y'all. John eight forty four. This is a good one. John 8, 44. Jesus speaking to godless but religious people. Godless but religious people. In John chapter 8, he's arguing with them, as he did. You are of your father, what? The devil. He's your daddy. He tells you what to do. He's your boss. He's the king in your house. You are of your father, the devil, and your will, back to the will, and your will is to do your father's desires. And here's the thing. People who are in the devil's house, under daddy devil, they're doing exactly what they want to do. They're doing what's in their heart to do. They're sinning against God and because that's what they want to do. Your will is to do the daddy devil's will. He was a murderer from the beginning, does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Three verses later, John eight forty seven. But, tell me if this sounds familiar. Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is because you're not of God. You're in the wrong house. Why does all this matter? Glad you asked. <clears throat> Our master dictates what we do. Your master dictates what you do. You need to know who your master is. So this morning, if you have never surrendered yourself to a new master, his name is Jesus. I want to lovingly but truthfully tell you, you are in the devil's house this morning. He is your boss. He is your daddy. And what the scripture says is, for everyone who's not in Christ, if you are in the devil's house, you will have the same destiny that the devil has. And what the scripture tells us in Revelation 
is that the devil, for all eternity, will spend time paying for the evil that he's done in a place called hell. And he will face God's wrath and judgment upon his soul as will everyone in his house. However, Jesus Christ has come to bring the light of the gospel to you. And he will save any soul that repents and believes the good news that Jesus Christ is the Lord. I'll say it again because I got an amen. That means it's worth saying again. Jesus Christ will save any soul that will repent and believe that Jesus Christ is the Lord. And repenting and believing is this. I reject the house and my master, the devil. I receive that Jesus Christ is my new master and I will be obedient to him until the day I draw my last breath. Whatever he asks me to do, I will do it because I will be his servant rather than the devil's servant. God loved you enough to send his son and this message to you this morning. Will you respond and come into the house of the Lord, into the house of Jesus Christ? Why does it all matter? Because if you do surrender yourself to the Lord, he will protect you from the devil all the days of your life. Why does it matter? Because in the house of the Lord, we have different objectives, different goals, different directives in our life. This week, many of you will be giving your life to VBS. You'll be tired at the end of the day. And on Thursday morning, you're going to wake up and go, I'm exhausted. And it's only Thursday. You might feel that way tomorrow. If you're Allison, you think he's been felt that way every way this week. But you're working in God's house, doing God's work for the kingdom. And my hope and prayer is that 10,000 years from now, there is a soul in heaven singing God's praises because you taught fourth and fifth graders VBS. And my hope is that 10,000 years from now, there's a family that found a church because they knew that this church loved kids. And loved adults. And loved teenagers and young adults. And was willing to put their money where their mouth was and invest. That's my hope and prayer. Why does it matter? I'm not here to do VBS to make kids laugh. I'm here to do VBS because I want to make an eternal impact for the kingdom of God. And I hope that you... And each of you will, if you can't be here, that you will be praying. God, use this week for eternal things. Which house do you sleep in? Which house do you reside in? Who is your master? Who is your Lord? We know that We are of God. We do not sin. The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. But Christian, may I remind you, you are not 
of the world. Let's pray together. Our Father, we are grateful for you calling us out of the world and into the kingdom of light. Lord, if there are souls this morning that still reside in the kingdom of darkness, I'm asking and praying that you do a work of conversion, of regeneration in their soul. God, draw people to your son this morning. May they surrender to you and recognize the stirrings in their heart, the aliveness, the the love that they have, the desire to repent and believe and be a part of the kingdom eternal. God, stir souls this morning, transform people. Lord, for us this week, I pray that we bring the message of light to children, to families, to our community. Lord, may they see Jesus and come alive. That is our prayer, O Lord, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.